Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 44 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Hey guys, welcome to the show and indeed welcome to 2018. It's so good to have you back here and I'm so pumped to bring you more shows, more content, more fun, everything in 2018 and keep growing this little podcast show community thing that we've started last year. Keep making it bigger and bigger. Big changes coming to the show. I wanted to mix it all up for 2018 and create something completely new for you guys. So uh, same old me, but slightly different uh, version, <laughs> maybe an upgraded version, who knows. So the show this year is going to be all about creating an extraordinary life and your extraordinary life. And what does that mean? What's an extraordinary life? Well, it's simple. Anything that's beyond ordinary. It may surprise you to learn that I've never really followed the rules and I've never really lived an ordinary life. I've always wanted to live a life that was different and beyond the usual, beyond the normal. And so I've learned a lot about that. And if you're interested in creating something extraordinary, a life that's different from the norm, that's just different from living day-to-day existence that most people experience, then I want to bring you a place where you can come and hang out and learn and share with other people that are also on the path of creating something unique. So what are the elements of an extraordinary life? Well, for me, there's four elements that have been important in my life. Having a mission, doing something in the world that is bigger than just day-to-day, something that's going to pull you forward, something that's going to excite you, something that's going to get you out of bed in the morning and want you to work. For some of you, you're going back to jobs you know, in January that you hate. But if you're on a mission, if you're doing something bigger than you, that's going to pull you forward and you're actually excited to go through day to day and do what you want to do. And usually that revolves around business. Not always, but I found that having a business or having something where you can express your mission is the best way to do that. So we'll be talking about that. Second thing is adventure and excitement. Again, it might surprise you to know that I love adventuring. I spend most of my life traveling around the world because I'm just obsessed with seeing new places and experiencing new things. And just I'm fascinated by how the world is so unique and so different in all the different places and everybody's living life in a different way. And I think in order to live an extraordinary life, it seems to me that we save all the fun, playful times in our life for the start of our life when we're kids and for the end of our lives when we're retired. And I think that's crazy. Why not keep the play, fun, and the excitement and the adventure going all the way through your life rather than just bookending your life with those enjoyable, fun moments? So I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to teach you to bring more adventure and excitement to your day-to-day life so you're not just going through drudgery, repeating every day, same old, same old. Third element is love and connection. I love love. I love everything about love. I love receiving love. I love giving love. And it's crucial that if you want to live a life that's extraordinary, that you understand love and you understand that you are love and how to express it and how to receive it and get rid of all the blocks that you might have put in place to stop that love. And connection is a very close cousin of love. And it's your ability to connect to those people close to you, or even if you're on your mission, how to connect your message to the world. And we'll be focusing on that as well. And the final thing, I think the thing that wraps all of this together is having a sense of inner peace. So as you can see in the news, just having success is not always the answer. Just achieving big things in the world doesn't guarantee that you're going to feel good about yourself. So although we're going to be doing lots of external things to create an extraordinary life, we also have to have inner peace and joy and self-love and all of those uh, cool things as well to make sure that you can actually appreciate and be grateful and enjoy all the success that you have. So that's going to be the focus for the show. 
for my life, for my business, for my mission is just help as many of you create an extraordinary life as possible in 2018. And I think we're going to do it. So stay tuned for that and be excited. And other new developments for the year. The first one is I'm so excited to welcome Unsettled, one of my favorite companies, as the new sponsor of the show. Unsettled is the company that helped me live in Colombia for a month last year. They bring awesome entrepreneurs, freelancers, people together to live in one city for a month and they take care of everything for you. And they're just such an awesome company. They're completely aligned with my values about creating an extraordinary life. And I just couldn't be more happy that they're going to be sponsoring the show so that I can keep bringing this content to you for free every week. So super pumped about that and watch for an interview with the founders of Unsettled early in February. That's something I'm excited about as well. Other new features of the show, I'm going to bring some review sections to the show to review books, courses, people, coaches, all that stuff that will help you make better decisions around creating your extraordinary life. And so you don't have to buy those products. You can listen in, get a little snapshot into some of the stuff that I've been doing and that has helped me. And hopefully that can help you in your journey as well. And of course, there's going to be awesome guests in 2018. I'm super pumped for all the lineup of guests that I've already got for you. And I heard you guys, the message you said last year was there was a ton of coaches on your your program. We love coaches, but some of the messages started to repeat. So this year, I got a whole load of different guests from all over the spectrum, athletes, entrepreneurs, sex coaches, love experts, all of that stuff. So expect a whole different uh, array of people on the show this year. And the thing that keeps coming at me in 2017 was, when are you going to have women on the show? And trust me, I've had so many powerful women influence my life. So I'm pumped to let you know there's going to be a ton of women on the show this year that are sharing their message helping you live an extraordinary life, sharing about their extraordinary life. Because, man, if anybody knows it, I know it. Women have such incredible messages to share with us. And I'm super pumped to have them uh, be a part of this show in 2018. And I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off the year than one of my mentors, a guy I really look up to, Preston Smiles. Preston has a huge following online, mainly because he has such a powerful message. He's clear, he's concise, he's just an all-round incredibly powerful human being, and you'll see why. He doesn't disappoint in this interview. I'm not going to hold you back from it any longer. Enjoy this personal conversation with the powerful Preston Smiles. Yeah, man. So uh, I'll give you the best, the cliff notes, because I've lived <laughs> many lifetimes in this one lifetime. And so it's just a matter of cherry picking what, you know, what wants to come forth today. I, uh, very early in life, my mother had an inkling that there was something different about me. And so she started getting me tested by these psychologists and things of this nature. And I remember some of that, but not most of it. But when I was about eight years old, I remember, and this is one of the, this is one of those wounds, like a core wound that sticks with you, right? So there are certain things that happen in our lifetimes that I believe we spend, you know, a majority of our life being bigger than, you know, uh, sifting through and, and really recognizing that that wound has caused so much of what I call my personality. And so I was eight years old and I was one of those kids who could fight and play basketball. My family had, you know, more money than most people's families. And uh, so I had... You grew up in LA, right? I grew up in LA. So I had all this, everything like a, a young kid would want. And I was good at sports and all of these things. And I remember one day we went out to recess 
Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have that, that same terminology in Australia, but basically. Yeah, like break time. Yeah, exactly. So we went out for recess to play kickball and, you know, we had a good time. And, you know, I was one of the most popular kids in the school. And we came back and we sat in class and it was a class of about 35 kids in there. And I remember sitting down at my desk and, you know, getting ready to start my next class. And the principal and a few people who I had never seen before came to the door. And we all kind of looked up and they whispered to the teacher something. And the teacher said, um, Preston, uh, would you come with me? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. So I jumped up and she said, no, grab your stuff. And so I grabbed my, my Ninja Turtle backpack and my freaking, um, what do you call that? My Trapper Keeper and, and like my whole little kid pack and commenced to walk with him. And as we began to walk, they, they didn't tell me what was going on. They started to walk me out of the building and over towards these bungalows. And these bungalows were, everybody knew that the bungalows were where the, and forgive my, my English here and properness, but this is what I was thinking in my head at that time in, in the early 80s. The bungalows were where the retarded kids went to class. And so as we're walking towards the bungalows, I started to have this inner dialogue happen where I was like, oh my God. Am I retarded? Am I retarded? Am I one of the stupid kids? Oh my God. And it's happening. Nothing. You could not see that on my face, but it was happening internally. And so they walk me over to the class. We go up four steps into the class and there are about three kids playing with blocks and drooling all over themselves and making these, you know, sort of weird sounds. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with mentally ill children, but the way that the school system was set up, if you didn't learn like everybody else, then you were considered special education. And so they put me in this class and they said, Preston, this is going to be your new classmate. And imagine yourself at eight years old. You're not stupid. You're not a freaking kid at eight. Like you are, but you're not. At eight years old, I'm sitting there looking at these kids drooling on themselves. And I made an association, which was that I must be like them. If they're the retarded kids and I'm in the class with them, then I must also be retarded. I must also be stupid, dumb, less than. And so they explain that this is going to be my new class. And, you know, I'm eight. And if you grow up in a Western culture, by the time you're like six, big boys don't cry is a real thing. And so I grew up in a very macho society where it was already beat out of me not to allow my emotions to come up. So I just said, thank you. And I was very polite and they left the classroom and I spent the rest of the day in that class and the rest of my schooling in that classroom. And what was tricky about it and what, how it made a deep impression on me was nobody made fun of me. All of my friends, nobody, everybody just pretended like it didn't happen. So now there's all this shame, right? There's this shame that, that no one's talking about this deep thing that we've all talked about before. And so I began to seek approval outside of myself by bullying the bully. You know, anybody that was bullying like one of the nerds or whatever, I would go to that bully and I would beat him up and I would mess with him until he stopped. I became even more dominant in sports, right? Because these are the things I was being praised for. And so I started seeking approval outside of myself. And therefore, Preston, the true, my true essence was no longer there. And so by the time I was 11, I joined the gang. I started smoking weed. By the time I was 13, I was a, like a fucking urban terrorist. I was running around, spray painting, stealing, fighting, doing all kinds of stuff. When I was 15 years old, my friend and I, my best friend, Scott, 
and I used to argue over shotgun in my friend Rudy's blue Astro van. Did you guys used to say that, that term shotgun, which means like getting like the front seat. front seat. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So Scott and I used to uh, go out every night. We would go to these liquor stores and we would pretend like we were adults at 15 and 16 years old and grab the alcohol and walk up to the counter. And the game was to see who could get out first. So we would just run. And this particular night, Scott called me and said, yo, we, we going out, you coming. And I was like, no, man, I'm a chill. And he's like, you gonna be a bitch? And I'm like, yep, I'm gonna be a bitch tonight, I'm chilling. And this was my first sort of true understanding of what intuition was. I, I never really understood intuition until this moment. My intuition said, don't go. And so I didn't. And an hour later, Scott and Rudy and Emmanuel and all my other friends pulled up in that blue Astro van that I was in the night before and the night before and the night before. And they pulled up to a 7-Eleven and a guy who was disgruntled and just got broken up with from his girlfriend was sitting in his car. And Scott pulled up and he, Scott was in the, he had the front seat because I wasn't there. And Rudy was driving and the guy was sitting here. And Scott looked out and looked at the guy and the guy said, what the fuck are you looking at? And Scott being a 16 year old dumb kid said, I'm looking at you, bitch. And the guy got out of the car and shot him in the head. And every single person in that blue Astro van that I was in every other night. And this was one of those moments for me where I went through all kinds of emotions, including why me? Why was I saved? Why am I still here? I was in that car the day before. Why am I still here? And it scared me. And so I went to my dad and I said, I need to go. And he said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't care. Get me out of here. He sent me to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is across. I'm, I lived in California. He sent me to Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. So it, we did the opposite. So he was in Philadelphia, which is in Pennsylvania. And he went to Bel-Air. I was in Los Angeles and I went to Pennsylvania. And, oh, that's funny. and I moved in with this woman named Shirley Russell. And I got off the plane, it was a sign with my name on it. I had never seen her in my life. And she took me in and she became my, uh, my mother. And Shirley lived within the county lines, right? Because America and a lot of places in the world still have something called systematic racism, where they figure out where brown people live. And then they draw the city lines according to that. And they stop it at a certain point. And they say, everybody who lives on this side goes to this school which we will give no funding to and it will be poor and the teachers will not care and the kids will act accordingly and they'll end up in jail. And anybody who lives on this side, which is where most uh, people who happen to be Caucasian live, we will give these schools so much money, so much funding, the best teachers, the best everything. They'll have hockey teams and baseball and football and everything. We'll give them everything. And these teams will have nothing and these schools will have nothing. And so I ended up, surely lived just on this side. And so the first day of school, I got there and we pulled up and there was BMWs and Mercedes and turf football field and state-of-the-art greens everywhere. And it was like, you could eat off the ground. And I remember the first day of school, I was walking through the hallway and you know how in, in class, they have those windows that you can see out of, like you're sitting in class, but you can see out of the window in the door. Yeah. Everybody kept running to those windows as I was walking by and going like, what? You could tell they were really like excited that I was there or something was happening. So I get in the office and the woman's like, okay, you're going to be in Miss Johnson's class and da, da, da. She's talking to me. And I said, 
ma'am? She's like, yeah. And I was like, um, can I ask you a question? She's like, sure. I said, is there anybody else in this school that looks like me? And she said, oh, do you mean black? Well, uh, well, no, we have one black girl, but no, you're the only black male in this whole school. And it was this realization and this deep culture shock where I became instantly the most popular kid in school. Again, just because I was black, I was like <laughs> this cool like alien that everybody wanted to hang out with and be around and like, oh, you're from California. Tell us about California and all this stuff. Within a few weeks, I joined a new gang called Wexford Mafia. There's a bunch of rich white kids with BMWs and we were headed to a party one day and it's changed my life forever. And it's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do. We were headed to a party one day and I was in the backseat and we were listening to Outkast, Tupac and Biggie. And they were smoking weed, passing blunts around, drinking 40 ounce uh, malt liquor, beer, and like just jamming out. And I was in the backseat and I had this moment where I stumbled upon environmental psychology. I had this moment where I realized that the kids at my former school were doing the same thing, but getting two different results based on the environment and the expectation. And so at 15 and a half, I realized that it wasn't that we're different. You know, it, it wasn't about gay, straight, white, black, Christian, Muslim. It wasn't about those things because it was underneath all of that was our truth, which was love. What I, what I came to understand was that the way that the system was set up was for one group to fail and one group to succeed, even though we were doing the same things. And so this opened up a can of worms for me where I went through many stages, one of which was an angry vegan. I denounced my religion. I like uh, became a super conspiracy theorist, which I still am to some extent. And I was just very angry. And, you know, I went to college and I cheated my way through college because the wound was still so deep. The identity of Preston being the dummy was still so deep that I didn't, I didn't trust that I could just study and do well. So I cheated. And then I got into graduate school and I, I made a pact with myself that I wouldn't cheat anymore. And so I did a three-year graduate program and there was only two people who graduated with a 4.0 and I was one of those people. I did not cheat one single time. And it opened up the space for me to understand that I wasn't stupid, that I was actually genius, that I just learned different than most people. And that I had something called dyslexia, which causes me to have to read things probably 40 times more than most people in order to actually truly understand it. But the dyslexia was actually a gift because it created a space where I overcompensated with learning how to linguistically share because I couldn't read as much or as fast as everyone else, I learned how to speak like everyone else. You understand that? The wound created a beautiful thing as well. And, you know, I speak all over the world now. And so it, it, it was a powerful thing. And I'm going to end this story because there's a lot more to it. But I'm going to end it with this. I moved to L.A. to pursue an acting career. And I got on on these shows um, like Entourage and 90210, and I did like 50 commercials, and I was just like doing well, and I got sick. I went to the doctor, which I never usually did, and the doctor said, you need to see a cardiologist, something's happening with your heart. And I went to a cardiologist, and he ran a few tests over a few days. I came back, and he said, he asked me two questions that changed my life forever. The first question was, was what are your stress levels like? And I I didn't even know how to answer that. I was 25 years old. I was like, What's the stress level? 
and he described it. And, I, and then I told him about my life. And he said, young man, you're highly stressed out. So your heart is breaking down. Okay. Second question was, was what's your diet? And I said, I eat food. And he said, tell me about food. And I said, well, I eat McDonald's every other day. Um, Burger King. I sloppy Joe's. I drink beer. I smoke weed. I drink regular milk all the time. You know, just food and hot dog. He said, young man, that's not food. And I said, what are you talking about? Of course it's food. It's on the commercials. Everybody I know eats like this. Of course it's food. And he said, it's not food. And I, I'm going to give you some pills that you're going to take for the rest of your life to regulate your heartbeat. And I suggest that you look at your stress levels in your diet. And I was so devastated and angry that I had been lied to that I went on a quest. And a part of that quest was my girlfriend at the time, her mother, found out. And she said, Preston, I just got this book called Ask and It Is Given by Jerry and Esther Hicks. And I think that it would be a powerful book for you. I know you don't read, but if you, if you were, this would be good. And she gave me the book and I opened it up. And within the first three pages, I dropped the book on the ground because it said your thoughts become things and you create your own reality. And I had never, ever in my 25 years of existence ever heard those words, ever. And that opened up a space for me to ask myself, what else have I not heard about or learned about? And I dove into this type of work and people in the industry started calling me like a black Buddha. Everybody's like, yo, Preston's like awoken. Like you want to, you need coaching, go to him. And I wasn't charging or anything. I just kept just serving people. And I was doing it from a space of love and I was super in alignment. And one day I got tired of it. And I said, you know, what if I just created a YouTube channel called Questions with Preston? Because everybody's asking the same questions all the damn time anyway. And so I created the channel and the rest is sort of history. It, it took off and is taking off. And I coach and lead people all over the world. I have many clients. I have a group called Man Cave, which is a conscious man brotherhood that I am the founder of. And um, yeah, man, that's my work. That's what I'm here to do is to serve humanity in every capacity. Thank you for sharing that. For sure, man. For sure. There's a lot. lot yeah, thank you for telling your story. Lots more to the story, but those are, those are some of the cliff notes. <laughs> That's the highlights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the headlines. Um, when you look back on your life, I mean, you said something very interesting right at the start where you said a lot of the stuff that happens in your life early on mm-hmm. are things that you have to constantly confront and undo and look at. And so when you look at your life now and everything that's happened to you, I mean, for me, hearing that story, I know that you know the truth about life. Uh-huh. You know the truth about life and death, right? You've seen as close as you can get to it. Yeah, for sure. So when you look back on all those stories of your life, do you see it as you needed all those things to happen to become the man that you are today? Or are there still parts of you that are resentful of your past? Uh, It's a combination of both. You know, I could sit here and say that that I'm always, you know, happy about my past, but uh, I'm not. I'd say the majority of the time I am. And I think that anybody who, you know, hops on podcast or on anything and says that they're getting anything 10 out of 10 is a, is a liar. Like it's, it's impossible, right? Contrast is a part of life. And so we will always have desires. And some of those desires are based on the past. Now, am I grateful for my past? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did I need those things based on results? Yes. Why? Because it is, right? 
the, the worst thing we could ever do is argue with what is, right? That's God's business. It is done. Now it's about our relationship with what is. And that relationship determines what will be. So, so how we view the past determines how the future and the present will be, right? There's a line in Conversations with God where he says, you cannot have what you want, but you may experience what you have. And that line always stuck with me because it's not about wanting a different father or a different, you know, whatever. It's about experiencing what I do have. So if, I, if, if I'm experiencing abundance, then I have it. If I'm experiencing harmony, then I have it. And guess what? Like attracts like. What you appreciate, appreciates, right? So what we focus on expands. And so if I'm focusing on a deep gratitude, because here's the thing, I could not coach and hold space and support people the way I do without what I've been through. And those are just some of the, the cliff notes. Two years ago, I watched somebody die in my arms, bloody death brains on the ground, grasping for air. There's so much I've been through in this lifetime that makes it, and initially when that happened, I was like, what? I had PTSD. It was hard for me to even like, you know, really operate because the person got hit by a cab right in front of me and their brain splattered all over the ground. And so it was really hard for me when I'd be walking in, you know, public places to not go back into that space. But then I got, oh, what a gift. Right? We celebrate when babies come in, but we rarely celebrate when, when someone leaves. We rarely celebrate being one out of seven billion people to come into communion with somebody on a specific date and time when they choose to leave this planet. And so for me, it's, it's all perfect. It always has been. Right? There's something called chaos theory. And chaos theory basically says that if you pull far enough back, if you just keep pulling back, 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 bird's eye view, you'll see that there's order to the entire thing. Right? But to the human mind, to the egoic mind, you know, we want it to be all perfect and filtered for our Instagram lives. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's actually bullshit. Right? Nobody has, nobody's walking this earth perfect. And yet everything is oh so perfect. It's the divine dichotomy. It's the cosmic joke. It's all perfect. And yet, it's hard for us to see that. Yeah, it cannot feel perfect sometimes. Yeah, for sure. But it's about cultivating trust, I guess, and faith. For sure. So you come to the truth that beneath all of this, that love is all there is. All there is, was, and ever will be. You know, I, I've come to understand that we don't create abundance, right? Abundance is always there. We create limitations, right? There's an abundance of air right now. There's trillions of cells dancing through my body at this very moment and yours and everybody listening. The cells in your body, that beautiful heart that has been beating nonstop since the moment that engine started. Zoom, zoom, heartbeat. Do, 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 right? That thing hasn't stopped for any of us. If we're listening to this podcast, that's enough right there. Abundance is everywhere. It's the limitations that we create. Love is everywhere. Love is what we swim in. And the stuff that isn't so pretty is actually exactly what is necessary at that given moment. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. And do you look at, because we can look at love in so many different ways. You can look at self-love or you can look at love in terms of falling in love or you can think about the greater love for all of humanity. Mm. How do you separate those or are they all the same thing to you? It's all the same thing. The easiest way to love humanity is to love oneself. Like I'm in a relationship. I'm married to a beautiful queen named Alexi. And 
I'm in a relationship with me. And the more I'm in love with me and the more I fill my cup, the more space there is for me to give from the overflow. What's in my cup is mine. What flows out is the rest of the world. And I can distribute that accordingly. But it's highly important that we fill our cups first. And so love is all of those things. It is the air we breathe. It is what grows the little hairs in my beard. It is what moves the planet. It is the stuff that is not so pretty, like sex trafficking. It is the stuff that is, is deep, that doesn't necessarily look good and feel good, right? But all of us can say right now that we've been through something that seemed like it was the worst thing on the planet. And when we came out of it in hindsight, we went, oh, shit, I'm so grateful that happened. Because if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have met this person. And if I didn't meet that person, I wouldn't be here. And now I'm traveling the world doing this thing or whatever the case may be. So if that's the case, then nine out of 10, we're living in one of those right now where the universe is moving five steps, a hundred steps, a thousand steps ahead of us. But to the human mind, we want to control it. And that's the, that's the biggest issue, control. We have become a bunch of control freaks that want to be right. The most dangerous drug in the world is being right, especially for men, because we've been taught for so long that to have the right answers means safety. Then we get a bunch of you know, chauvinistic assholes who are guys. It's easy to be a guy. It's a whole different ballgame to be a conscious man. To be a guy, just pay your bills. Don't be a dick. You know? Easy. Yeah, easy. To be a conscious, above-the-line man, that's a whole other ballgame. It's right? a lifelong pursuit. Exactly. Exactly. And when you talk about control, like you talk about, you know, finding your queen, mm-hmm. that I have a lot of people that I work with that have like done the work and they're becoming conscious men, yet they still can't find that soulmate. Mm-hmm. But they want yeah. it so bad and they, you know, they, they try not to control that outcome, but they also want mm-hmm. it. What advice do you have for them? How, how should they be going through the world if they want to find that one person? A um, couple things. One, I, I, and this was your languaging, but maybe it's theirs. And I would tell them that done the work, the work is never done. Mm. And so that could be one of the problems, right? That, that's being right. Oh, I've done it. I've read a few books. I, I've had a coach for five months. I'm good, right? This idea that the work is done. The work is never done. The question is, is can you have fun with the work? Can you enjoy the journey? A lot of people are so addicted to the destination that they are suffering their way all the way and struggling their way all the way to it. And so remember, we cannot have what we want, but we may experience what we have. And so a lot of men, a lot of women, a lot of men want these powerhouse queens, right? But they're not showing up in their power. Why are they not in their power? Because they want, they want, they need. That's desperation. That's not fucking attractive. You fill your cup, you fall in love with you. You beat your fucking chest and actually show up as a powerful conscious man. And she will have no choice but to come into your space. That's how you bring your woman in. I didn't go looking for Alexi. I went looking for me. I went looking for the true self. And everything else was filled in from that space. That's my advice. And how do you do that so that it sounds like you, if you fall in love with yourself, how do you create space for somebody else? Or you just trust that if you just pour everything into yourself and becoming conscious and filling your own cup, leave the rest. Yes. I mean, here's the thing. We have to be proactive. A lot of times we think things are compartmentalized, especially as dudes. We want to say, well, this is my work hat and this is my home hat and this is my with my buddies hat. And yeah. the reality is, is that everything is touching everything. We don't, life is not compartmentalized. The shit that happens at work affects what's happening at home. And the shit that's at home is affecting what happens with your buddies. It's all touching everything. 
So it's not compartmentalized. It's not that you do this one thing and then once that's done, then you go over here. It happens all together, right? So you set the intention. The intention is, is to call my queen. And I know that if I want a powerful woman, then I must be a powerful man. Ah, okay, fantastic. Now, what does that look like? That looks like me truly doing some deep work, really looking at my relationship with the masculine, really taking a deeper look at the wounds and triggers that have been running my whole freaking life. And as you're filling your cup, right? Because that's filling your cup. Anytime you do conscious work, that's filling your cup. What's filling my cup is, you know what? I'm addicted to work. I work all the damn time. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set out an hour every day just to do something that makes my heart smile, just to do something that fills me up. That's filling your cup. And while I'm doing all of that, I'll hop on Bumble. I'll make it a point every single day to go to one woman who I deem beautiful and give her a compliment and walk away, not expecting anything. I'll just walk up to her and say, hey, my name's Teddy, and I just want you to know that you're shining. You are glowing. There is something about you that is truly powerful. Very nice to meet you. I hope you have a beautiful day. And then you walk off. That's how you do it. So you're just not looking at <laughs> letting go of that outcome. It's just like keeping exactly. on doing what you're doing. Yeah. I love we, it. We become so attached. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming into the end of the year and this will, by the time people are listening, this is, you know, the start of a new year. Yeah. What's 2017 taught you? 2017 has taught me the power of focus. You know, I tripled my income in 2017. And, awesome. and not just my financial income, I tripled everything. It really went to the next level for 2017 for me. And a lot of it was based on focus, like just really focusing in on what's the one thing that will produce and create space for everything else. And like, what's the one thing that's burning on my heart? And so I got clear about that, which was men's work, which was man cave, which was actually stepping in and stop talking about it and be about it. And that thing has created room and space for everything else. And it will continue to do that. Every, anytime you honor your heart, anytime you honor it and, and also understand, because a lot of men, I get it. We have a lot of ideas. We end up dispersing our energy all over the place. In the book, the one thing Gary Keller talks about, and this is not his, he took it from somebody else, about juggling seven balls, right? So there's like personal life, the romantic ball, there is the spiritual ball, there's the career ball, there's the financial ball, there's all of these balls that we're juggling. And a lot of people make the mistake of trying to actually keep all of those up. And his suggestion is pick three of them and make sure that you understand that there are certain balls that if they drop, they are glass, the other ones are rubber, right? So for instance, if you're in a relationship and you drop that ball, that's gonna shatter. Mm. Right? So you want to keep that ball up. You want to keep playing with that one. Right? And then let's say the other one's career. You, you're focusing on career yeah. and your romantic relationship. And then let's say the other ball is your health. Right? Because the health, if you drop that, none of this shit means anything. So you got three balls. Inevitably, this is going to cause some fallout, some pain in one of the domains that you are not paying attention to. And so getting okay with and this is for 2017 for me, getting okay with things being messy. So for 2017, that was one of my biggest lessons was understanding that things are going to be messy, that in order to create an empire, in order for me to create the life, a life by design, a life that I deem true success, that some things are going to have to take a back seat. 
You know, a lot of guys want to, you know, be in the gym for six hours. Well, dude, is that really important? Is that like life or death? Because if so, guess what else is being taken away during that six hours? So yeah, I got skinnier. Some things had to go away in order for me to take my life and my income and my family and my heart to the next level. And so for me, that was one of the biggest lessons, focus. Yeah, focus on the right thing. So for you, relationship and the men's work, those are your crystal balls? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, men's work, relationship, health. Yeah, I love that. And tell us a little bit about the book. So the book's called Love Louder. It's yes. awesome. And who's it for? Uh, it's for everybody, man. It's for everybody. Anybody, anybody who's you know, looking to have daily bite-sized missions and chunks, things to take on and do that will, because, you know, I think it was Aristotle that said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit, right? So 33 days was to represent, you know, a month of really diving in. And so I made the book so where, where you could read one stanza, which is like maybe four pages tops and work on the, the missions, the challenges, the Love Louder Challenge in the back for that day. And then the next day you read another one, four pages, that's it. Then work on that challenge for that day. By the time you get to the end of that month, your cup is going to be so full that, you know, you're, you're going to be freaking floating. And so, yeah, the book is called Love Louder, 33 Ways to Amplify Your Life. And, you know, if you're in Australia, the book depository is- Or New Zealand. Or New Zealand, you can get it from the book depository. Um, if you're in the States, you can get it from Amazon. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. We'll put the links up to that. It's a super easy read. And yeah, 33 days really to change your life. Yeah. Love Louder. Check it out. And if people want to get interested in the man cave for 2018, as we're yeah. looking in, in the new year and we're looking at, you know, gearing up all those things. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but you know, yeah. being in a powerful community is definitely one of my highest values. So if people want to yeah. reach out and, and learn about the man cave, how do they do that? PrestonSmiles.com forward slash man cave. Awesome. Thanks, man. The last question we always ask everyone is about the dark side. I'm fascinated to hear your, your opinion on this and your own dark side just because of your story, but also because of how many men you've worked with and understanding mm -hmm. is probably better than most people. Do you have a dark side? And how do you embrace the dark side? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, it's a tricky question because I don't, for me, the dark side, the shadow side and the light side, it's all the same side. It's all one coin. It's God manifesting itself. It's God. We're all expressing ourselves, right? So what was in the 20s, they used to say that women should smoke cigarettes when they're pregnant because this is a stress reliever. This was, this was considered a good thing, right? That was right in the 20s. And what was wrong, what was right in the 20s was completely wrong in the 50s. So this idea that there is some moral right and wrong is, you know, I don't even subscribe to that. I am. I am. That's how I play. And that isness can show up in many different forms and fashion. There's a part of all of us, the reptilian brain, right? That's still an animal. And that animal could kill a motherfucker easily. And so do I have that in me? Yes, I do. Does it come up? Yes, it does. All of us do. When you sat in that chair today, your reptilian brain checked to see if it was safe or not, right? When we walk down dark alleys, we check. And if somebody were to run up to you right now and grab your neck and start choking you, your immediate instinct would be to fight back. That can be considered the dark side, the shadow side. All of it is life-lifing. Now, do I have a suggestion for men? Yes, I do. 
And I did it first, which is why I can say it. 2012 was the last time I had alcohol, right? A lot of men drink too much. And they're drinking because they're, they're trying to escape their shit. A lot of men jacked off to porn way too much. You get to be bigger than your dick. You don't call yourself a conscious man if, if your dick is running you. And so it's time to step in and step up. You want to be a conscious man? You want to, you want to be the big dog on campus? You want to be that person that's really winning in life? Because even if nobody else is watching and you know that you're addicted to prescription pills and jacking off to porn and drinking alcohol, even if nobody else is watching, you won't feel like you're winning in life. I've been that person. We're on the surface. Everybody, everybody, oh, your life is amazing. But I knew what was happening behind the scenes. And so from my heart to yours, step the fuck up. It's game time. You can call yourself a man. Let's act like one. Let's be bigger than our dicks. Do 30 days. No jacking off. No porn. See what you're made of. <laughs> Thursday, no jacking day. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2018. Yeah. All right, cool, man. So in terms of living an extraordinary life and holding all this together, like looking forward, how does your extraordinary life, what does it look like going forward? Uh, being present to it being present to it and uh, removing all the limitations and blocks that would have me not see the face of God everywhere I'd go. Beautiful. That's a good place to, uh, to leave it. Preston, thanks for coming on. It's been awesome. I could sit here and talk to you all day. Like I'm sure you have that experience with everybody that comes into contact <laughs> with you. But uh, I know there's a lot of work to do out there. So I'll let you go and, and carry on spreading your message to the world. But thank you for coming on for this time and sharing yourself with us. For sure, man. Much love, my brother. Thanks, brother. Big love to you. Well, there you have it, folks, my conversation with the epic Preston Smiles. Wow, what a powerful, raw, and inspiring interview. I just love that guy so much, and I appreciate him coming on the show so much. Show him some love. Go and check out his Facebook page. You'll find Preston easily all around Facebook and his website, PrestonSmiles.com, and check out some of the courses that he's offering in 2018. Thank you, guys. Like this uh, post. Share it around. I would appreciate it and love you forever if you did so, and I'll see you next week for episode 45 of The Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.